Amen. All right, hold it up real high. Say, this is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I can do what it says I can do. I can be who it says I can be. Today, I will be taught the incorruptible word of God. My mind is alert. My heart is receptive. My ears are open. And I better not go to sleep. In Jesus' name, amen. Father, we thank you for your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, if you would, turn your Bibles with me to John 2, John chapter 2, 1 through 11. And today we're going to talk about maximizing your miracle moment. Maximizing your miracle moment. You know, we are celebrating Mother's Day, and that prophecy, again, was so important because I'm going to show you today how many of us want miracles to occur in our lives, Many of us want to see the supernatural, but we don't know that we can actually contribute to creating an environment for the supernatural. And everybody needs a miracle sometime. What is a miracle? A miracle is something that's above the norm. A miracle is something that's not mediocre or average or normal or ordinary. A miracle is something that goes beyond the mundane. It's a shift, a change, an elevation, a promotion, something that you cannot do by your, the works of your hands or the wisdom of your mind or the manipulation of your words. A miracle is something that you have no part in other than your faith. But only God can create that thing. Sometimes it's like when you have a class reunion coming up and it's like you found out about it a week earlier and you realize you need to lose 30 pounds in a week, you need a miracle. See, that's a miracle right there. See, some of us need a miracle sometime in our life. At one point or another, we get to the place where we cry out, God, I need, I need something. I need help. I need a change. I can't do it. And my back's against the wall. I don't know what to do. And your luck is no good. And, you know, have you ever needed a miracle? Anybody ever needed a miracle? Does, does anybody need a miracle now? Amen. Amen. Sometimes we're in our marriages and we're just holding on by a thread. And we need a miracle. You know, we start thinking about ways, how many ways can I kill him? You you need a miracle. (laughs) You start making the food and you're thinking, oh, just a little powder here. You need a miracle. You know, and so I I, I know sometimes you have grandkids and you're praying for them and they need a miracle. So everybody gets touched by needing a miracle one point or another. All right, let's read this text. Are you ready? Are you there? John 1, John 2, 1 to 11. And the third day, there was a marriage in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. And both Jesus was called and his disciples to the marriage. And when they wanted wine, the mother of Jesus said unto him, they have no wine. Jesus said unto her, woman, what do I have to do with you? My hour is not yet come. His mother turned unto the servants and said, whatsoever he says to you, do it. And there, there were six water pots of stone after the manner of the purifying of the Jews containing two or three firkins apiece. Jesus said unto them, fill the water pots with water and they fill them up to the brim. And he said unto them, draw out now and bear unto the governor of the feast and they bear it. When the ruler of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine and knew not where it was, but the servants which drew the water knew. The governor of the feast called the bridegroom, and he said unto him, Every man at the beginning sets forth the good stuff. And when men have drunken, then they send what's worse. But you have kept the good wine till now. This beginning of miracles did Jesus in Cana of Galilee, and manifested forth his glory, and his disciples believed on him. 
Now I'm going to just read four, verse 4 and 11 in the message version. Jesus said, is that any of our business, mother? Yours or mine? This isn't my time. Don't push me. Verse 11, this act in Cana of Galilee was the first sign Jesus gave, the first glimpse of his glory, and his disciples believed in him. Notice the disciples were with him before, but here they believed in him. So I believe that Jesus gives us some clues in this, um, in this story. I really believe there's some important things that we can see here. Because a lot of us want a miracle and a lot of us want the supernatural in our life, but we'll never really see those things happen Because we don't do what we need to do. Having a desire is not enough. You know, you can have a desire to go to college and and spin around three times and and do that. But a degree is not just going to pop up for you. You actually have to go to college and sit in the class and not skip class and actually do the work, right? So having a desire is great. But a desire is not enough for a miracle to occur in your life. There are some things you and I can do, you know. When we talk about miracles, again, I'm talking about the realm of the supernatural, where the extraordinary becomes a regular thing in your life. And we're able to see, Pastor and I are able to see the extraordinary happen every day. I mean, when we go to Starbucks and somebody discounts our thing, I mean, yesterday, I'm, I man, it was full of miracles. Yesterday was like miracle day for me. Everything I was buying was like 40% off. And I didn't know it was 40% off. That's like huge miracle for me. Because I was like, okay, pastor was thinking, it's a miracle for me too, because I don't have to spend half as much as I was thinking. Because I'm just adding up my things and I'm thinking in my brain, okay, when I get there, what am I going to put back? You know, you start thinking, you, know, you ever do that? You, you pick up all this stuff, but you know, you really have money for two. And you hope in between the time that you picked up all 15 and the time you get to the register, the revelation will come to you as to which two you want. Yeah, so I, I do that all the time. So I was picking up all this stuff and pastors holding all these shoes. <laughs> and, you know, he just does not, this is not his thing, you know. So here we're just going and I'm going and I'm thinking, okay, I, all right, worst case, I'm going to put that one back because I really like this one. But those are, all right. We got up there and it was like, you know what? The sale goes on till um, four, five o'clock, but, you know, they didn't take the signs down, so they still have to honor the sale. I got all of the stuff I wanted. And we didn't have to pay half the price that we were paying. So that was a miracle day for me. May not be a miracle for you. See, that's supernatural to me. Because the natural thing would have been, the, the guy could have been like, well, no, that sale is over. And, but I had favor. Amen. Favor is a, a miracle thing to me. Where favor is a norm and promotion is constant and abundance is, abundance is regular. Where you live in the best, drive in the best, eat the best, and have the best in Jesus' name. That is what God wants us to do. He wants us to live an abundant life and a miraculous, li- a miraculous life all the time, consistently and constantly, right? Some things we notice in the story. I always look at biblical numbers. The first thing is that about number three was in the story. Right? It said on the third day. And three is the number of resurrection. Three days Jonah was spit out of the, the, the whale. Three days after Jesus was raised from the dead. Whenever God is ready to do something, a lot of times it happens in a, in a number three. And it's a resurrection time. It's a, it's a, you've gone through some stuff. You've gone through some death. You've gone through some pain. You've gone through some embarrassment. And on that third day is a resurrection day. You know, Jesus died on the cross. He was buried. And then that third day he came up. Jonah ran away, was frustrated, was fighting in the belly of the whale. Third day he came out so here it is he says at the third day it's a resurrection number then the next thing he said bring six water pots 
Six water pots are very, very, very significant because the number six is the number of man and his weaknesses, right? Number six, on the sixth day, man was created. The water pot was made out of clay. The Bible says in Corinthians that he has this treasure in earthen vessels. So what is the story teaching us? That Jesus is going to give us a big clue in this story, how we as men, how we as people can strengthen the weakness and have a resurrection moment. How we can create some kind of environment for miracles. Because a miracle was created in this environment. Amen? And so here it is that, that we, if we don't pay attention to the story, we'll miss the, the most important thing, which is really the, the, the little thing. Both numbers are in the story. The weakness of man, one of the main weaknesses of man is about to be addressed. And this is the weakness that we're addressing today servanthood. We don't like to serve. We like to be served though. That's why, I mean, when my, for my birthday, I said, pastor, can you take me? He said, what you want? I said, just take me to a hotel where I can go sleep where it can be. They can cook for me. They can make up the bed for me. They can do all this kind of stuff because I wanted to be served for a day, right? Queen for a day. We don't want to be served. We don't want to serve, but sometimes it's the minimal things that give you the maximum results. It's the petty things that become powerful. It's the things that are obscure that become really opulent, you know? 1 Corinthians 1.27. 1 Corinthians 1.27. If you will go there, and it says, But God has chosen the, chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. You know, go, go to Matthew 20.28. 20, go to Matthew 20.28. 20, Matthew 20, 28. And Jesus says this. If you have a red letter Bible, it's in red. So Jesus is saying this. It says, even as a son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life for many. The supernatural will never come into your life unless you become a servant. It just won't happen. When Jesus was there at the, 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 the wedding, he had an opportunity to miss the moment to maximize miracles. And many of us escape the supernatural living because we have our own way of doing things. Especially in the church. I just don't understand these, you know, I, I'm not real old, I don't think. But, I mean, when I became a Christian and I got born again, I could not wait to serve God in the kingdom. I was trying to find a way. How can I get involved? What can I do? But many of us don't do that. We treat God like Santa Claus. How can you serve me? When I go to you, God, you know, I need this, 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 and this, and this. Not talking about God, what do you need from me? We start telling God what we need from him. If you don't fix this marriage, I don't know what I'm going to do. Instead of saying, God, what would thou have me to do? What would you have me to do? You know, serving in the kingdom is so key to maximizing your miracle moment. You can have an atmosphere getting ready to happen. And because you are selfish, and you refuse to do the inconvenient. You refuse to go beyond your world, your house. I got enough on my plate. My house is all in stress. I, I can't be helping the house of God and I'm in stress. When you think like that, you will never become the greatest. Because the Bible says that the he who is least becomes the greatest. And if Jesus said that he came to serve and not be served, then who are we to flip the script? The first thing we notice in the story is that Mary is his mom. 
Mother's Day. Mary pushed Jesus into stepping out. She pushed him into a miracle moment. I am here as a little mama to push you into your miracle moment. I'm here to tell you it is not enough to just do what you want, when you want, how you want, where you want. It is not enough to go and live in a supernatural life trying to do it naturally. You cannot have the abundant life thinking with a poverty mindset. You can't go forward staying backward. You can't go into tomorrow staying in yesterday. Today is a day that you are going to have to make up in your mind that it's, I don't have the pride to hold me back from serving. I don't care what I look like. I don't care what I have on. I will serve. And you can't be selective in your serving either. Player, player from the Himalaya. I mean, I am telling you, I, I'm telling you, these modern day Christians, I'm telling you, just, they just treat, I mean, when we serve, we have laid tile. We have um, laid carpet. We have cleaned bathrooms. We've served in the children's ministries, youth ministries, administration, bookstore, tape ministry. I've served in every single area that you can possibly think. I've served with, 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 with indigent children in the middle of Africa and in the middle of the Caribbean. I've served with, with people in government and I've served with people not out of government. There's not selection when you want to serve. You can't just say, oh, you know what? I tell you what, Jesus, I know the calling I have on my life. And the calling that I have is supposed to be to preach. So I can't go ahead and serve with the kids. As a matter of fact, that whole setup breakdown thing. Oh, can't break my nails doing that. Oh, I tell you what, I'm going to just be a greeter because you know how cute I am. So that's going to be my area of service. What happened to wherever there's a need? What happened to where, G- where you need me, Jesus? I'll do it knowing that whenever we, we obey him, there's a blessing on the backside. You know, the first thing we notice is that, you know, Jesus was, the, his mom was there and she pushed him into doing it. He wasn't really wanting to do it. But the amazing thing was that his disciples didn't believe on him until after he had done that. It's the same kind of thing. You know, some people come to church, but they don't really believe in the leadership until they see things, you know, productivity and things going on. Well, you know that we have good leadership here. Amen. Amen. First of all, Jesus must be invited before he can intervene in your situation. Jesus must be invited before he can intervene in your situation. If you have never invited Jesus into your life, you continue to increase your chances of living the boring, mundane, ordinary, mediocre life. So the first thing is you can't invite everybody else, your sister, your friend, your co-worker into your situation to try and change it. They, they don't have the power to create miracles. You have to invite Jesus in there. And what I mean by inviting Jesus, that when you turn it over to him and you pray and you believe, you leave it there. You don't keep coming back. Oh, Jesus. Oh, Jesus. Oh, Jesus. Invite him in there and invite him to stay, you know. It's not like you don't want to have those Starbucks moments like pastor where he invite Jesus and he told him, okay, I'm going to uninvite you. Please go to the parking lot while I throw the coffee on this man. No, you don't want to do that. You want to make sure you invite him all the time. Amen. Amen. I tell you what, when I, uh, when I got born again, I was 13 and in Jamaica, I was already in the ninth grade at 13. I was really smart, you know, you know, not just cute. I have smarts too. (laughs) Anyway, I was as smart as I was. And I really was smart. <laughs> was like I'm not smart anymore. All right. But when I went to elementary school, I had extremely high grades, right? And our elementary goes to sixth grade. And then seventh grade is high school. So, um, and then we finished at 11th grade. So we're normally out of school by 16. We can't hold a driver's license till we're 18. But we can hold a job. But we can't get to the job. <laughs> no sense. But anyway, so I... Um, 
I was in high school. I turned 10 in uh, the seventh grade. And uh, I was just trouble. Just, just, I mean, big trouble. My brother was just as bad. Because he used to have this, I don't know what y'all call him here. Where do you do this? <laughs> DJ. All right. Yeah, and he used to do those turntables and things. And he used to have his little group was called Choice. You know? And because it had C-H-E, the word choice had C-H-E in it. So him and these two little, you know, ugly people, they had their little band thing going on. And they would go to all these parties, right? And they would make all the music and, you know. And I am four years younger than, 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 than Pastor Chase. So I was like 11 going to the parties with him. Oh, yes. We didn't have no parents. So I could go anywhere I was wanting to go. Okay, so I would go with him and... um you know, then, you know, he'd have to take me anyway and rescue me from whatever was going on. But I would go to all the partying with him. And then I started going to all these clubs, you know, sin make you look old. I was like 12, 13 in the club. I know you can't imagine your kids doing it, right? They do. Saying, I mean, when you're sinning, you just look old. You don't look good. So, I mean, I looked like I was, you know, 17, 18 by that time. And my grades were horrible, but I had left elementary school right with 90s and stuff, like getting certificates. Well, I was in high school in my first three years. I mean, I saw some letters I didn't even know existed on a grade sheet, like E. Do y'all get E's here? We get E's. And it's not for excellent. I mean, it's like, you know, had a couple F's, some D's. I had two A's. Uh, I, I never had any B.A.s during that period. I had like some B pluses in the subjects that I like history and literature and art. Sewing and cooking. Okay, those five. But I had to take in 11 subjects. So everything else, just imagine, everything else was C, D, E, F. And then I got saved, you know. And I, I decided to obey the, the, the voice of God and I got saved. And shockingly, I'm telling you, shockingly, I was supposed to have repeated the ninth grade because of how exciting my grades were. And um, I had two teachers who went to bat for me and they said, you know what? Put her in the smart class promote her and put her up, you know, with, with all the people because she's really smart. She just misdirected. But they didn't know that over the summer I had gotten saved. So I'd ran away from home. Yeah, I did that too. I ran away from home. My dad told me I couldn't go to a party and I was like, okay, you're not really in my life nine months out of the year and now you're trying to tell me what to do. Uh-huh. No. You know, Che's my dad and if he's not saying nothing to me, well, you can't tell me nothing. And Che was, you know, he was his old little party circuit anyway, so he's not going to tell me no, right? And I could beat him up anyway. I mean, you can tell. I mean, to tell him, you just punch him lights out all the time. You know, little neighborhood kids come fighting. He's like, I'm going to set my sister on you. I'm going to set my sister on you. I'm like, Che, please. <laughs> he tells the truth. I mean, my gosh, he'd have me lay down in the middle of the street and, and, and like step on me, you know? Prove how strong I was. Okay, she's going to get you. So, I mean, so I ran away from home and got saved, right? The lady, the girl that led me to the Lord, Pastor Che, ends up liking the girl and comes to church because of the girl. Yeah, came, to, yes, and then he got saved and the girl backslid. <laughs> it's just too much. But anyway, after I got saved, I went back to school and I had, it's like I wanted to do whatever God wanted me to do. You know, my life had changed. And when I set my mind to serve, I was serving in the youth ministry, just serving anywhere I could serve. Remarkably, my grades for the rest of the time, they just went up to A's and B's. And by the time I graduated, you know, Bible college, I, you know, I had like a 3.8. Now, if I show you the reports from seventh grade 
to the end, you would not know it was the same person. And I'm just saying that you can, when you invite Jesus in, you create an environment for miracles. Amen? Amen. Secondly, miracles occur in an environment of obedience. Verse 5 said, whatsoever he says, do it. That's what Mary said to the servants. Whatsoever he says, do it. In in an environment of obedience, miracles will happen. Because you know what? Every miracle is preceded by a mandate. And every promise is preceded by a precept. God will tell you something to do, and then he'll put a a promise on the backside. Right? Every instruction from God has a deliberate intention behind it. Jesus had told the blind man, put clay on your eyes. And then he was able to see. He told the man who had a withered arm, stretch forth your arm. And then the miracle happened and his arm was straight, right? Elijah told the widow woman, hey, go get those pots of clay and pour oil into it. And the oil never ran out. So miracles are always happening. Jesus told the servants to fill the water pots with water and it turned into wine. Whenever there is a miracle in your way coming to you, he will always give you an instruction. He will always give you a principle. He will always give you a precept. He will always ask something from you, tell you something, tell you to do something. And we miss our miracle moments because we are not willing to obey the instruction. We argue with the instruction. We debate with the instruction. We justify ourselves out of the instruction. We compare our instructions to other people's instructions. You didn't tell them that. Why are you telling me? You know, uh, the prophet told Naaman. Hey, you need to go into the river Jordan and wash seven times. And he was like, oh, holla, hold on. You don't know who I am. I am the captain of the army. You see all this clothes I have on here? We, we're not going into no river with these threads on because this cost me too much. But he wanted to get free of leprosy. When he decided to humble himself and just obey the command, then he was healed. It's the same thing for us. We can't say, well, you know, if the Lord is saying to you, hey, you need to serve in a kids ministry. Oh, no, oh, no. If he's saying you need to sow a seed, oh, not today. He's saying, you know what? You need to go forgive that person. When I'm ready, you know, I just don't feel inspired to forgive right now. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm so wounded, Lord. You know, I'm wounded. Well, you're holding up your own miracle moments by not obeying. God told Nehemiah to build a wall and he got some sponsorship. Some of you are, are trying to get some sponsorship for your, your club, your, your group, your business. You want some grants from the government. You, want some, you just want to invest in anybody to believe in it. Well, when Nehemiah built that wall and he was building it and they had to fight on one hand and, and build on the other hand and they had to do all this stuff. The king then came and said, what do you want, Nehemiah? Tell me what you want. You want some sponsorship? Get to obeying. Amen. What area of ministry is God asking you to serve within this church? Which, which part of this is it that you're not willing to do? What next big thing in your life is not being released because you're choosing to be stagnant right now? Doing the inconvenient will cause you to experience the incredible. I'm telling you. People who are successful don't, don't do what other people who are not successful. You know, I love watching the behind the scenes Oprah 25, season 25. Because I like the fact that she gets up at like the crack of dawn. I mean, she's like up at 5 a.m. And she doesn't stop working till 10 a.m., 10 p.m. But some of us want our businesses and our, our dreams and our marriages to be successful, but we're not willing to put in nothing. No time. 
Because it's all about when we're doing, and you know, I hear this all the time. I'm tired. Well, who's not tired? Take you some B12. Start walking. Stop eating fat fried foods. Drink lots of water. You'll be amazed at how just that alone will just build up your energy. Amen. Amen. Here it is. Uh, another miracle that occurred in my life. You know, when I got married to pastor, I didn't have my degree. And I was having a lot of insecurity, self-esteem issues because I felt that I needed my degree to make me feel good. Because I came into the land of degrees, right? In Jamaica, everybody don't necessarily have a degree because, like I said, you can get out of school at 16. Especially if your family's like, man, you can get a hookup and get a big, big job just based on who you know. You don't have to be qualified for it. Just know somebody. You can bribe a job, drudge, pay off a police. I mean... Oh, there's a whole lot of things that you can do. I mean, you know, I'm not sure if you watch the Jamaican news, but when the, um, America was trying to take, um, extradite this big uh, FBI-wanted guy from Jamaica, found out that the prime minister was all in cahoots with the guy. So I'm saying, I'm from a country that you don't need nothing really just to know somebody and have a little cash. I could be prime minister tomorrow. So I come into America and um, everybody's got their degree. If, they're not in, if they don't have the degree, they're in junior college or some kind of college. So, you know, pastor had his degree. And so I'm starting to feel like I don't have no sense, you know, because I don't have my degree. And boy, you know, I'm just starting feeling like that. You know what I mean? And so I wanted to go to school and I was telling Evan, you know, I want to go to school. I want to do my degree. And, and you have your degree and you just stop in my dreams. And he was like, sweet, don't, we can't do it now. Let's not do it. You see, if it was you, though, you'd find the money to do it. You already have your degree. You're just hating on my, my, my dreams. I help you in your dreams. Why can't you help me? I'm telling you. And he was like, sweet, wait, sweet, wait. And I, I just was not willing to wait. So eventually, after all this excitement, I decided, okay, you know what? I'm going to yield. I'm going to yield. Because I'm always i the one that yields in the relationship anyway. So I just yielded. <laughs> so anyway I just I mean I yielded in my heart and I was like you know what God okay that's it you know I'm going to just find my, my esteem in something else because I realized it was an esteem issue you know it's an insecurity issue so after I corrected that and I was yielding yielded to it he had found out some information from a friend of ours and they had an online school an online college and because all my background was in biblical studies then you know I really didn't want to do anything else I only always wanted to be in ministry from us 15 so I wasn't planning to study nothing else I don't want to study law doctor nothing so he found out from the school and once I had yielded ended up finding up that when I sent in my credits from what I did they just gave me my degree I had a bachelor's I hadn't did have to sit one class I didn't have to do nothing because my life experience and the credits I already had, they just gave it to me. And then they fast-tracked me and I did my master's in one year. So I'm just saying, miracles, favor occurs when you're obedient. Some of us think we just have to be obedient to God. No, you have to be, be obedient to leadership in your life. I had, God wasn't telling me, Eben was telling me. What God had told me was, wives, submit yourselves unto your husbands as Christ submits himself unto the Father, right? Amen. All right, but that's just for some of you who are trying to rebel against your husband. I'm just saying, you may want to try it. Just say yes one time. Just once. Just try one. One time. And instead of him always saying yes to you, just try one day. One day I'm just going to say yes to him and see what happens. You never know. Anyway, obedience is evidence of faith right? Faith is the breeding ground for miracles. When we serve, it's visible. 
It's an evidence of our faith. You know, the Bible says in James 2, verse 18, that I will show you my faith by my works. In other words, what you believe, what you say you believe, is only evidence in what you do. So if you're not serving in an area of ministry, if you're not serving someone, if you're not helping, what do you really believe? Do you really believe what Jesus is saying when he said, hey, I need you to be kind one to another, serve one another. Do we believe what we're reading? Do we believe what we're singing? Or we're just, we're just saying it, but we don't believe it. It only is evidence in our faith. Our faith is only evidence in our work. You know what I mean? So when you say you love your kids, but you never talk to them, you never spend time with them, you never feed them, clothe them, give them any lights, you can't say you love them. You have to have evidence of that faith. And evidence is, is serving. Amen? So the first thing is Jesus must be invited before he can intervene. The second thing is miracles only occur in an environment of obedience. And the final thing is this. You must know the quality of our service is important. Some of us are holding back the best when it is the best that actually blesses. How do you serve? You must be excellent in serving. What does that mean? Verse 7 says that the servants came. Jesus told them, go take these uh, water pots and fill them with water, right? You remember that? The Bible says that they didn't just fill it with water. They filled it to the brim. He didn't tell them to do that. They did that. When you serve, are you serving to the max? Or are you just doing what it is to get by? How you begin is good, but how you end should be great. You should not be serving now less, with less knowledge, less passion than you were serving a year ago. Because a year ago, you had 12 months to learn something new. You had 12 months to delve into something deeper. You had 12 months to, to, to get more involved, know more people. You know, I, I remember, you know, um, we used to be a part of a church and I mean, I, I never really considered myself mediocre, but I was very mediocre in some areas. In the areas I don't want to be serving, like administration stuff. I hate that stuff. Like filing things and making labels and you touching paper. I just don't even understand how people can find a joy in being organized. I, I, I think you should just live by the seat of your pants. Wake up today and say, what you going to do today? And just do it. That's, that's like my ideal life. But I live with an administrator. And my God today, I mean like Friday night, I said, baby, you're going to wear me out. You've asked me the same question 10 times. What is the plan, sir? What's the plan for tomorrow morning? What's the plan in the next hour? What's the plan? Jeez, Eben. I just came to rest. I said, I don't know. That's the problem. Sweet, that's the problem. You don't know. I said, my plan is to be in the bed. That's the plan. <laughs> Well, what about these other people? Oh! I didn't think of that yet. Exactly. That's what I'm asking you. Oh! So administrative stuff, planning ahead. Don't want to do it. And I used to work for this church. And my God, today, you know, the Lord gave me someone that was extremely administrative. And I had to do some labels at least 10 times. I think, you know, they were just like, uh, I did them last name first and first name. And then they, put it, they flipped it. No, put a comma there. Then make it capitalized. And oh, my gosh, it was a grievous process for me. How, because every time I did it, they couldn't find nothing right with it. No, I don't want it this way. No, it looks better this way. And I was just like, oh, this is the devil's seed. But eventually I learned that it was a test in submission for me. 
And though I didn't like it, it really has helped me do what I'm doing today at Word of Truth Family Church. Me serving someone else, me having to go beyond what is naturally my temperament, naturally my personality, is helping us as Word of Truth Family Church because I'm way more organized. Though I don't like it, I can do it. You know what I mean? So it's the same thing with you. How excellent are you going to be? Excellence means you go to the max. Go beyond. Go to a new seminar. Go online. Research some more. Number two, don't resist the drawing out process. This is when you get irritated because people are pulling out of you the mediocrity that's still in you. You know, when that person comes in from your, your area of ministry and they tell you, hey, no, we're not going to do it this way. You really need to serve. You really need to stay. No, you know what? Uh, they should be glad I'm serving anyhow. When mediocrity is being pulled out of you, a lot of times we fight it. Use what you already have. They had water, but they needed wine. The thing that you have, the gifts and talents and abilities that you have will only remain water until you put them to service. The value of what you have in you increases when you begin to use it. What you think you don't have, God is asking for just that. The value of what you have will remain the same without the use. That's what happened with the people with the talents, you know? Remember the people with the talents? One had uh, one talent and he buried it in the ground and the other had some more and they used it and got even more. Same thing. You don't become more than what you are by staying and doing what you've already did. You got to do something different. Go more. Be excellent in what you're doing. Your miraculous living is being held hostage by your current level of giving. If you don't serve more, your next level living won't come. You'll be where you are because you're continuing to do what you do. So, I'm closing. Jesus went from average to amazing after he served. He went from good to great. He went from ordinary to extraordinary. Every great impact begins with a small act and a big idea to help others. Your whole existence should be to be here to serve and help others. You will never be the next millionaire or the next billionaire if it's all about you. Take Bill Gates. If he had just created one computer for his own use, he wouldn't be rich. He'd just have a computer. But if he built the things the same, I want to make people's lives easier. Now he's got a foundation that gives out billions of dollars a year and helping other people. And I believe he continues to get wealthy because he's continuing to serve. God brings a supernatural opportunities and provisions to those who are willing to serve. And here's the last thing. When you serve, you get something that other people who don't serve get. Let me tell you what it is. In verse 9, it says that the servants knew what the host didn't know. You get the chance to participate in a miracle. You get the chance to see the miracle. You get the chance to get the revelation before anybody else gets. There's some encounters with Jesus that you get advantage of that other people who don't serve get. And some people, you know, they're like, boy, pastors them live so well because we serve hard. And we serve all the time. And we don't quit. And we don't do it because we have to. Because we're smart enough. You know, well, I've been smart enough. We could do something else. Like I said, I only have Baba College, so I could only be on a mission field or something. But, I mean, the man is smart. He could be doing anything else. But we would not do anything else because this is our call and our desire is to serve. And I believe that God honors those who serve. So I'm challenging you challenging you to do what Mary had said. Whatsoever he tells you to do, do it. What area are you going to serve in? Come now, I know all of you are not serving. But we need you serving. 
And more than we need you serving, you need to be serving. There is a blessing in giving. And giving is not always just money. You have to give up your talents, your times. For it to increase in the kingdom, you have to give it in the kingdom. Amen? Amen. So, what I want you to do today is, um, as we get ready to pray, is I really believe, I know, I know that I know that I know, that when that prophecy came to us years and years and years ago, my only desire, and it's still the greatest thing I'm good at, is whatever Eben is doing, I like doing that. I like serving. When I was in Bible college, I got the Servants Award. I wasn't even there to pick it up because I was downstairs serving. And it's not to say that, you know, to make me look any better. It's just that I enjoy serving. And I'm hoping that that will translate to you because it's the biggest quality that Jesus, I mean, he prized that above everything else. He said that we become great when we serve. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, I'm,